Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it means something that we are gathered here together. And I pray that you would speak uh, to your people today in Jesus name. Amen. You know what I love? I, I love my small group. I love small groups in general. I love our small group's pastor. Can we give a shout out to our small group's pastor? I love him. Uh, I love small groups, and, and I've loved, yeah, that's right, I loved my small group this semester in particular. We have a great group. I've enjoyed it. Uh, uh, I'm always excited to see them. If, if somebody doesn't show up, if Robert is, say, traipsing through Europe, I'm always sad uh, that he's not there because I love him and I love his presence. And, and this semester, we really got to know each other well, and I don't know how you feel or have felt about your small group. I hope it was similar, and I hope you had that same type of experience, and if you've experienced anything like I've experienced in my group, then you've experienced in small part what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to actually be the church. Now, of course, church is more than small groups, uh, but in a small group, you get a taste of what the church is, and that's why I love the church. That's why I love the church, and that's a significant change for me. Before I was a follower of the way of Jesus, I didn't like church. I didn't enjoy church. Uh, I didn't want to be associated with church. And and I associated it above all with boring services. Uh, And growing up a part-time Catholic in my early years did not help that association one bit. In fact, uh, I came across this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, uh, uh, and I used to relate to this. He said, if all the people who fell asleep in church on Sunday morning were laid out end to end, they would be a great deal more comfortable. The, the, the second association I always had with church uh, was buildings, right? I, I associated church with buildings. And, and of course, there are many beautiful church buildings, especially if you ever get overseas, over to Europe or, or, or even in parts of Africa uh, and, and in Italy, other places like that. In London, there are beautiful old church buildings. Uh, but did you know for the first 300 years, the church didn't gather in a building? Not in the kind that we understand now. They would gather from home to home. They would gather in the temples. So buildings are good. I'm thankful for Water Place. I'm thankful for what Water Place is. I'm thankful for what Water Place will be when we finish the front of this thing. Uh, I'm thankful for what God has blessed us with, but it's not the heart of the church. And even though buildings facilitate our gatherings, they facilitate belongings, it's not the essence of the church. The building of a church is much like a ring and a marriage certificate. A a ring and a marriage certificate can be important to marriage, but it's not the essence of marriage. There's something far more profound happening in marriage than a ring and a certificate. And at the heart of the church is the same thing. There's something amazing, something beautiful, something far more profound at work than just our building. In fact, in the New Testament, 
There are over 100 images and metaphors about the church, over 100. And we couldn't begin to even try and look at all of those today. Uh, we, we, we couldn't cover them. Uh, but I want to highlight five that I love. And, and let me be very specific. Today is not a theology of the church, okay? It's not even the beginnings of a theology of the church. It really is just unpacking five out of the many views and perspectives that the church is and should be to us. And I'm going to share them because these are five that I love in particular. And the first one is friends, right? It's friends. Jesus said this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 15, he said, I call you my friends. I call you my friends. And that's amazing that we are called the friends of Jesus. Can I get a good amen right there? That, that we're called the friends of Jesus, and yet, we're not just called to be friends with Jesus. We're, we're called to be friends with one another. We're called to be friends with each other. And that's what's amazing. Again, that's what I've loved so much about the small groups that I've been involved in uh, over the years. Brianna and I have probably been in no less than 20 small groups or so, maybe even more than that. And we've loved every single one. We have a particular love for our Enneagram marriage small group. Love y'all. Hope y'all out there somewhere. Uh, it was a great time. And, and we love the people. And, and some of the people have become good friends to us. Sometimes our groups have been bigger. Sometimes they've been smaller. The size of your group doesn't matter matter. What matters is if Jesus is there and if you are bonding with one another. And there's something amazing about those friendships. In fact, the New Testament translates this word, and it's hard to translate it in English. It's almost impossible. But the word is koinonia. Koinonia, okay? Or as, as some people say, koinonia, which sounds weird to me. So koinonia. And, and it roughly means fellowship, okay? It roughly means fellowship. It's a word that was used two in that period uh, of marriage. And it's a depth of relationship that cuts across age and cuts across ethnicity and cuts across background and cuts across personality types and cuts across culture to allow flourishing relationships. And it is a word that can only be applied to communal Christian friendship. In fact, this level of connection is Amazing. It's more than just being a social media, and I'm going to throw it in air quotes on purpose, friend. Okay? It's more than that. It's more than that. I've experienced in the church a level of friendship over these years I never experienced outside of the church. Why? Because our bond is not over what football team we like or what food we like to eat. It's over the fact that we're going to be a community for eternity. And we share Jesus between each other. We need one another. We need friends. In fact, someone said this, there are two things you can't do alone. You can't get married alone and you can't be a Christian alone. Okay? You can't get married alone and you can't be a Christian alone. You need people. In fact, Pope Francis said this, being a Christian means belonging to the church. And if you've been here for some time, you've heard me say this, that the moment that you profess faith in Jesus, uh, you not only belong to Jesus, you belong to me. And I belong to you and we belong to each other because that is what the Bible teaches us. In fact, Dr. Tony Evans said this recently and just go and prepare yourself to get your, get your wig split. He said, he said, people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian and they are right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. You also don't have to go home to be married either, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Just let it sit. And you've seen it. I mean, this is, you've seen it. 
people whose faith is burning and bright and, and then they drift and they drift and they drift and they drift and they drift and, and they're not around. And you reach out to them and, oh yeah, yeah, I've been busy. Well, we're all busy, right? No, it's about prioritization and prioritizing the place that actually gives you life. Okay, that's why I love that Dr. Evans quote. Yeah, you can, you can be married and not go home, but eventually, if you do go home, you may find that you don't have a home, right? In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. I've preached that verse many, many times, and I've said this many, many times. I don't know if I'm encouraged or discouraged that within 100 years of Jesus dying and rising from death, people were already skipping out on church, okay? Either way. The Bible addresses it there. In other words, some people just give up. They give up. Like they treat their group like this semester-based thing, and, and I gave it 10 or 12 weeks, and I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that again. I didn't touch nothing. Don't look at me. We hope. We hope. Sometimes it's the devil, and you got to rebuke him. Uh, they do it for a couple of weeks and then they're done. Or, or, or they think to themselves, as I just said, that the gathering on Sunday is optional to their faith. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Don't give up meeting together. You need to get together to encourage one another. <clears throat> don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, that's the thing. We, we want to over-spiritualize this, but the reality is a regularity in gathered worship is as much habit as it is desire. Right? It's as much habit as it is desire. Just like you have a habit of staying up too late and a habit of letting Netflix roll on autoplay and a habit of eating things that make you feel terrible the next day. Right? Habits shape and form us. And some were in the habit of not meeting together and they were in the habit of drifting in their faith. Right? In fact, I need to tell you this. If you give up gathering regularly and, and abysmally, let me go ahead and tell you abysmally, average church attendance post-COVID is 0.8 times per month. We can't even get to one. It's 0.8. If you give up gathering, your faith will never survive on your own. It will dwindle. In fact, I heard the story about a young man. He had a strong faith at one time, passionate faith at one time, but he, he felt like he was losing it. And so he asked to get a meeting with an older Christian that he loved and he respected. And so he went out to his cottage in the woods, something that I'm hoping to have one day where I will write books under a pseudonym and no one will be able to find me. That is my dream. If you want to pray for that for me, I would appreciate it. He went out to his cottage in the, in the country. It was a beautiful setting. There was a fire in the fireplace. And, and as they were sitting there, this young man asked the older man for advice. And he told him what he had been dealing with and how he felt that his faith was drifting. The, the older man didn't say anything. He went to the fire and he grabbed a pair of tongs and he pulled one red hot coal from the fire and he put it on the edge of the fireplace and he sat down and both men sat there for a moment and they watched that coal eventually turn from red hot to black to ash. And then a few minutes later, the old man got back up. He grabbed his tongs because you know, just because it's not burning don't mean it's not hot. He grabbed the tongs and he put the coal back into the fire and immediately it ignited. 
In a matter of minutes, it was glowing. The young man understood perfectly why his faith was dwindling, why his enthusiasm was dwindling, because he was a hot coal pulled from the fire. And he needed to be in community with people who kept his faith ignited. The coals of our souls and our faith burn brightest when we regularly gather with other followers of Jesus. Because everything in the host culture is trying to put your light out. You need to understand that. And so we come here for for rejuvenation, for reigniting. We need each other. The second reason I love the church is family. Family. And that's the second image of the church. And, And in a way, it's even more amazing than the first one. We are the family of God. The church is not an organization you join. It's a family you're a part of. Okay? In fact, in the spring of 2025, I know, I'm a crazy man. In the spring of 2025, we're going to do a series called When the Church Was a Family. And I'm super excited about it. It's based on a fantastic book. Uh, St. John writes this in 1 John 5, 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. In other words, you are a child of God. God is your father. And everyone who loves the father loves his children as well. In other words, you can't say that you love the father and that you don't like his children. You can't say that you love Jesus and you don't like his bride. I'm going to tell you right now, we can't be friends if you don't like my wife. It's never going to be. It's never going to be. You can't say that you love Jesus and you like Jesus, but I don't deal with the church. Well, that's his wife. Right? And that's what John is saying there. That if God is your father, then that makes you and I brothers and sisters. If God is your father, that makes you and I brothers and sisters. Have a quick look around. These are your brothers and sisters, and they will be for eternity. And listen, if you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, these are your potential brothers and sisters. And these are relationships that will last beyond the life we're living. In fact, God's intention was to bring the whole human race together as a family united in Christ. Becoming a family not by birth, but by rebirth. In fact, becoming a Christian involves three things. First of all, it's something that God does. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And then it's something that you do. You repent and believe. And then there's something that the church does. Welcome, receive, and baptize. And that's what it means to become a Christian. In fact, we're praying for 84 baptisms this year on Baptism Sunday, which is May 18th, May 19th, rather, 2024. So start praying toward that date and start thinking about who you want to see brought into the family of God. Start to believe for who you want to see brought from the outside into the family of God. Number three is home. I love the church because it's many of my friends. I love the church because it's my family. It really is my family. And for some of us who have had strained relationships with our biological family, the church has become almost our complete family. Okay? I love the church because it's my family. It's my family. And I also love the church because another word used in the New Testament is home. Home. In the Old Testament, the physical temple of God was his home. That's where he would dwell. In fact, you can hear all of these Old Testament passages or read them where he says, I've chose Jerusalem as my dwelling place. I've chose David's temple as my dwelling place. I've chose the tribe of Judah and and the temple there as my dwelling place. That was God's home. It's why people loved the temple so much. But in the New Testament, God's home is not a physical building. It is a building made up of his people. Okay? It is a building made up of his people. In fact, Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 calls us a holy temple. 
You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus said this, you know the words if you grew up in church at all, wherever two or three are gathered, there I will be also. There I will be also. In other words, when the church comes together, the whole trinity is here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, Richard Foster writes about the call Yahweh. The call Yahweh, it is the voice of God that can only be heard when his people are gathered. In fact, sometimes people walk into the church and they say, wow, there's an amazing atmosphere here, or it's a vibe. <laughs> it's a, it was a whole bop in here this morning. I turned around and the whole, everybody, was, I was like, all right, we're here for it today. It must be the extra hour of sleep in Jesus' name. People walk in and they say, man, I, I love the atmosphere in here. What are they experiencing? What are they feeling? They're sensing the presence of the Spirit of God. Even if they can't name it, they're sensing the presence of God. They sense that God is at home gathered among his people. My wife has been reading this great book called How to Worship a King. And, and the author wrote this. He, he, he said, an individual child of God can have intimacy with God at their house. We can have intimacy with our friend Jesus at home as well. But his bride is the assembled congregation of his family. Jesus can only have intimacy with his church when we are all together. The gathered church is God's home. Listen, Renovation Online, I love you. I love you. And we do online for a lot of purposes, not the least of which we have people joining us from Africa and Saudi Arabia and Dubai. But if you're here in Atlanta, you are not experiencing the fullness of what the church could be and should be to you and for you as long as it's translated through a screen. Online church should be an option when you know that you can't be in the house, not an equal option to being in the house. Okay. I love you. So if you're in Atlanta, Come home, come home, pull up, pull up and experience the, the fullness of what God would have you to experience. In fact, we have this big sign in our lobby. I know you've seen it or maybe you haven't. It depends on what kind of observant person you are. It, it says, welcome home. I kind of want to get one down by the road too, right? It says, welcome home. Why? Because coming to church is like coming home. It is for me coming home. You, you remember that if you went away from, for college, and you ate enough pizza and ramen to probably have killed a normal human being, but because you are a millennial or a Gen Xer, we practically raised ourselves anyway. We can do anything, okay? I saw this reel one time, and it said, if you see anybody over 40 still squatting, don't bother them because their knees are bad and they raise themselves on microwave pizza and Mario, okay? So we, we, we built different, right? But, but you remember those times, you come home from college, if you went to college, you come home from college and, and, and the, the house smelled how it's supposed to smell. And, and, and you had two-ply, you had two-ply in Jesus' name, yes. And it was on the roll the right way, over, over, not under, only psychopaths put it under, right? That's what I said. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. You come home and home was home. And if you had a mama like my mama, listen, my mama, she was going to feed me. 
And when I came home, all the favorite things I like to eat were cooked at once. At once. I was like, let me get some of that etouffee. Let me get some of that gumbo. Let me get some of that red beans and rice. Ooh, we got cornbread dressing. It's not even Thanksgiving. Why? Because I was home. And she knew that I was there to be refreshed and revived and reinvigorated and re-energized. And that is what the church is supposed to be to us. It's supposed to be like we're coming home. And when the band comes and they start sizzling on the hi-hat on the cymbals right before the worship starts, we, we are setting ourselves in a position to be revived and to be refreshed and to be re-energized and to be restored so that we can go out of this place and face a world that is doing everything it can to rob us of our dignity and flourishing. It's home. Feels like home to me. Yeah, I like country music. I'm not ashamed. You're not gonna judge me. I mean, you can, but I don't care. Y'all know that. So when we come home, what do we come for? We come to hear the Bible expounded. We come for fellowship. We come for friendship. We come to break bread for communion and prayer. And that's why I, I, I got to say this. And I've been meditating on this message. I was like, I don't want to beat nobody up today. I just want to love on them. I got to say this. It matters that we're early and expectant. It matters. We're throwing a party for Jesus. Show up on time for your own party. Because there are new people who come here every single week. And I feel bad for them. They're like, I don't think, I don't think there's a church here. And then in 920, they're like, oh, there is a church here. How delightful. These are real conversations I've had with people who are here for the first time. Okay? If we want to create a sense of home, uh, again, follow the analogy. If I showed up to my house from college, but my mom and my daddy wasn't there. Or, or I had to let myself in the house and they're like, we'll be there in a couple hours. It don't feel like coming home. Right? If we want people to feel like they're coming home, we got to be here to welcome them. Okay? We gotta be here to welcome them. And you take that very, I mean, that's like as gentle as I can say that. Like this, you don't understand, this is 20 years of sanctification you're experiencing right now. Because the way I want to say it, the way I want to say it. Okay, Pastor Doug said no, Pastor Doug said no. Y'all don't, don't want that level of smokeology today. Okay. So, so next week, Next week, I'm expecting this room to be this full at 902. I'm saying that. And for those of you who ain't saying amen, that's okay. I pray that the Lord trouble your sleep. So that you have to get up early and be like, well, I'm up. I may as well go. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm praying it every night this week. Lord, let them have a rough night, Jesus. Let them wake up in the morning and say, well, well, I'm up. I may as well head up there. Talking to you. You better know your Bible. The, the Bible says that the, right, that the prayers of a righteous man avail as much. And mine be avail a thing. So I expect this room to be this full at 9.01 next week. I expect it. I'm believing for it. I'm praying for it. I'm challenging you to it. 901. Nope, it's 901 now because you ain't say nothing. It was 902. 
But then when y'all ain't say nothing, you lost a minute, you see? 901. Okay, 903. Number four, I love the church because I love Jesus. Love the church because I love Jesus. And I love being a part of his body. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. He says that each one of us is a part of it and that Jesus is the head of this body. And together, listen, and this is why this matters. Together, you and I make up what the church looks like and what Jesus looks like to the world. Together, we are the image of Jesus. Together, Jesus didn't write a book. He formed a community. Jesus didn't write a book to tell people how to do the thing that he wanted to do. He formed a community so that we could be the image of Jesus to the world. He started with a small group. Shout out. Started with a small group. And that multiplied. And it has been multiplying rapidly for over 2,000 years. Jesus has an ever-growing community from people of all over the world and down the ages. In fact, there are now 2.3 million Christians in the world. And I used to think that the church was, or 2.3 billion, rather, Christians in the world. And, and, and I used to think the church was declining. I used to think that, but nothing could be further from the truth. Now, here in the West, yes. Here in the West... <laughs> The church is struggling, but not in the globe. In fact, since 1970, the church has grown over, by over 1 billion people. Tens of thousands of people are coming to faith and joining the church today. What's happening in the West is not happening globally. In Hill, last year, you uninitiated would call it Rio, but it's Hill. Last year, World Youth Day, 3 million young people worshiped Jesus. 3 million. In 1900, in Africa, there were 10 million Christians. By 2000, there were 360 million. That's a growth rate of 3,600%. In China in 1940, there were 4 million Christians. Today, there are over 100 million followers of Jesus in China. And it may soon become the largest Christian country in the world. And that number, of course, includes places where people are being persecuted, like China. And yet the church is thriving under that persecution. They are thriving under it. We should thank God today at the huge privilege we have to be able to gather, to just come and not be arrested or beat or threatened or tortured or executed. We should be thankful that the greatest hurdle to our gathering for church is an overbusy schedule or an overhyped individualism. We face no other obstacles. The church of the world is thriving. The church of the world is united. And a united church is powerful. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that we may be one, that we may be united in order that the world would believe. A divided world demands a united church. How can we help heal the world when we're fighting with each other? Judging each other. Neglecting to gather together. We're supposed to be an example to the world of unity and beauty and power. 
And it's amazing. It's beautiful when Jesus unites us. And we are united, infinitely united by far greater than what could possibly divide us. So let's not look to the divide. Let's look to, to the unity. Let's look to the power of the church when she is functioning properly. Did you know that the church is the largest volunteer organization in the world? In the world. We feed the hungry. We visit people in the hospital. We serve people in prison. We care for ex-convicts. We fight injustice. We fight human trafficking. We do all these things. Why? So that people can look and see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So that they could see what the world is supposed to look like under God's rule. That's what the church is. His body. His hands and feet in the world. And lastly, the final image of church that, that grabbed my heart for today. Uh, it's one word that kind of sums up the whole church. Sums up our small groups. Sums up our women's conference. Sum, sums up our gatherings. Sums up the reason why you're going to be here at 903 next week. Why you're going to be here at 859 next week. It's love. It's love. It's love. The church should be loved by us. And we should love each other because Jesus loves the church and Jesus loves you. In fact, Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He goes on to talk about marriage, but he's not talking about marriage. In fact, he says, I'm not really talking about marriage. There's a profound mystery that I'm talking about, and it's Christ and his church. It's Christ and his church filled with the love of God. And you know what love requires like marriage? It requires long-term commitment. Are you committed for the long term? Because church has changed year over year and season over season. Are you committed to seeing her become what she's supposed to become? Like a marriage, are you committed to stick it out for better or for worse? Because that's what love does. And in a culture that is so attuned to bailing as soon as it gets challenging, the church is supposed to be a reflection of steadfastness and intent endurance and commitment and conviction and longevity because of love. Because of love. Because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves we. He does. He loves his church and love transforms. In fact, we should be famous for our love. For a love, that's what Jesus says, that they will know you by your love. We should be famous for a love that is radical and inclusive and unconditional and extended to people of all types and backgrounds. Because that love in the church transforms. In fact, Nikki Gumbel tells the story of a man named Eddie in the Alpha Teaching. And when he first showed up to the church, he was very sick. He had DVT in one leg and in his knee. He had cirrhosis of the liver. His lungs were failing. He was close to death. 
He joined an Alpha small group. He came to Alpha Weekend. He started becoming a part of the church. The Holy Spirit filled him and changed his life. He was set free from all of his addictions. And it not only changed how he felt and what his attorney eternity would be, it changed how he looked. In fact, I don't know if we have those pictures. If we do, I want to show them. If we don't, then uh, we'll post them later. But, but it was the family of God that transformed his life because he made himself to belong to the church. And that's what it means to be a Christian. You don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. And you are friends of Jesus. You are God's family. And I look at a man like Eddie who had no family. Now he has an amazing family and his brothers and sisters in Christ. I look at a man like Eddie who had no home. And now he has both a physical home where he lives, but he also has a home for his heart in the church. I look at Eddie's passion for Jesus where he's now out on skid row telling other people about the God who saved him. And I look at the love of the church to draw in a man who was broken in every way and see his life transformed. Family, you have the most wonderful message in the world and you can see the most broken people in the world come to complete wholeness, but you cannot do it on your own. In fact, Mother Teresa said this, and I'll close with it. She said, you can do what I cannot do. And I can do what you cannot do. And together, we can do great things. Father, I pray that you would give us a love for the church, a genuine love for the church, a love for one another, and a love for your bride collectively. I pray that you would give us a vision for the church that is bigger than a weekly gathering, bigger than a dispensary of spiritual goods and services. I pray that you give us a passion for the church that enlivens our hearts and makes us want to be around each other, not because we feel bad, but because we will be refreshed, because we will be reinvigorated, because we will be re-energized, because we will be continually transformed. There's always a chance for transformation here. Father, I pray that we would not allow our coals to be pulled from the fire so that our faith can continue to burn brightly. I ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.